All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy to prepare food order today 888-457-3453 888-457-3453 or go online at preparewithcr.com that's preparewithcr.com build your emergency food supply for only $99 limit two units per caller 888-457-3453 or online at preparewithcr.com that's 888-457-3453 or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's a D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We're going to spend this hour talking about what uh, it looks like is coming next week now, which, which I think is the most important decision of the of the Trump presidency, at least its first term. I think it's the barometer decision. And and so far, if you take away the cowbell and you take away Sean Spicer's ridiculous antics and the media's even more ridiculous fecklessness, which is, of course, sadly par for the course, if you remove all of this, with one exception, and that would be DACA, and it's not that he hasn't kept his promise. It's that he has been slow in keeping it. I think a lot of people believe this would be one of the first things that would go with the stroke of a pen because it was illegally imposed on us by the stroke of a pen. This is Obama's illegal executive amnesty. And this is something that Trump has been railing against since last August. 
Actually, August of 2015 is when he actually started railing against it. So I keep forgetting we're in 2017 now. So this was something he's been railing against for a year and a half. It's the issue immigration that launched him from vanity candidate to a force of nature, a force to be reckoned with. So I think a lot of people believed, particularly because it doesn't call for deportations. That's something you're being told in the media that is not true. That's fake news. Uh, Repealing DACA doesn't mean all these people get immediately deported. What it means is that they cease being eligible for benefits. That's what it means. And then it's up to ICE to determine whether or not they are deported or whether or not they are allowed to stay from another means. So it doesn't mean as soon as this is repealed, people don't just get rounded up. That is what you're being told for the hysteria standpoint. But that's not true. What it means is their benefits are taken away. You're no longer paying for illegal aliens to be on the dole. That's what it means. So he hasn't he hasn't gone back on it. Uh, Mr. Spicer's words on this topic yesterday were not exactly encouraging. But he hasn't broken his promise on this yet. He's just been slow to keep it. And that has people concerned. But he has kept several of his other promises. And we talked about this last night. Today, he moved forward on the Dakota and Keystone pipelines, as promised, uh, two initiatives that we need both from an energy standpoint and an economic growth and job creation standpoint. Uh, And these are things that uh, President Obama held hostage over so-called global warming concerns, even though uh, how many studies were done on this, Todd? Was it like 10, 8, 12? We did There were a million Enough studies. Enough that I stopped counting. Yeah, we did it. There was, there's been numerous studies done on this that have shown it is by, it is, and, and understand the people that the Obama regime was having study this have a certain bias. And even they were coming back with, well, environmentally, this is minimal risk at best. And yet, nonetheless, though, he listened to them instead of common sense. So, you know, lost in the kerfuffle and shuffle of all of the antics is he's actually on a pretty good role to begin with in the promise-keeping department. But the most important promise to keep, in my view, is the replacement of Scalia. This is the one decision in his presidency, short of dealing with something in the command center of an immediate, imminent threat to the American people from a national security standpoint. This is the one decision that must be a hundred percenter. It must be because you're replacing a hundred percenter and Antonin Scalia and anything you do that is short of a hundred percent means a loss of the balance of power on the Supreme Court. And this is not even the choice that will determine the balance of power going forward. This is not the fifth vote. I saw several times last year that, oh, this would have happened if Republicans would have allowed, uh, you know, Merrick Garland's confirmation to be heard, um, except that wasn't the case in several of these cases. They actually had three votes and not four. The one that's actually going to determine the future balance of the court will be the following one. When Anthony Kennedy, who's a pretend conservative, and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's a Marxist, when, when they're both in their 80s now. And you have to believe, I'm sure Kennedy's not exactly concerned about Trump overturning his rainbow jihad, because Anthony Kennedy is the Benjamin Franklin of the rainbow jihad. He has, he's unleashed it on America. 
going back to Lawrence v. Texas, he was the deciding vote there in the 90s. I doubt he's concerned, uh, a, you know, a Donald Trump who stands up at the GOP convention and, and thanks us for not wanting to kill homosexuals after all. I doubt he's concerned about Trump uh, putting, a, you know, somebody that's not like-minded in his spot. So he may, he may see fit to retire. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, will will hold on to that black robe. You'll have to pry it from her cold, dead fingers. I mean, she's going to hold on to the bitter end. Those appointments will be the ones that will actually determine whether you can get Roe v. Wade overturned or not. That's your fifth vote, is that one. This Scalia appointment doesn't do that. But what it does do is determine whether the next one matters or not. Because if you blow this one, if you don't replace this Scalia with a Scalia, then frankly, guys... It probably doesn't matter what happens next. You're going to be, you're short. No matter which way you go. And as much as we like to be angry at Barack Obama for suing nuns and, and suing Hobby Lobby and companies like this with Obamacare, keep, and, and, and we have every right to be angry. It was wicked and unconstitutional. But keep in mind that if John Roberts doesn't save Obamacare not once but twice, President Obama's threats to nuns and companies like Hobby Lobby are null and void. Keep that in mind. That's why this is a decision that must be a hundred percenter, not an eighty-five percenter, not an eighty-nine percenter, not a ninety-one percenter. Anything short of a hundred percent, we lost. And yes, you got a better judge than you would have gotten out of Hillary Clinton, but you lost your your foundation, your cornerstone on the court now. And that makes the next appointment, which is supposed to be the swing one, the swing uh, uh, swing judge, almost irrelevant because you can't come up with five judges to actually do the most important things that you want to do. This one cannot be missed. And it is very clear if you see a couple of things that has happened both in the campaign and in the last couple of weeks, it is very clear that President Trump is going to rely heavily on conservative opinion on this appointment. One. You look at the fact that the judge, the list of judges that he is said to be considering primarily came from the list provided to him by the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society shortly after he became the presumptive nominee in May. And it's not a coincidence that that's when they brought all the evangelical leaders and all the social conservative leaders all were brought out to Trump Tower for that confab last spring when shortly after that list of judges was released. Because that was the main selling point that Trump used to get those skeptical evangelical and social conservative leaders to get them on board. Is he looked at them and said, regardless of what you may think about me or what have you, you give me, you tell me which judges you want, I will appoint them. You know, we have often said on this show, the one thing we've seen Trump never waver on, even though we've seen him waver on practically everything else, is Putin. You know what? I've misspoken when I've said that. Because surprisingly, something, one other thing we have seen him not waver on is when he talks about appointing pro-life justices. In fact, you go back to the post-election interview that he did for 60 Minutes, he said several things there that we as conservatives made our spidey sense begin to tingle. You know what, you know what he did say, though? And he was adamant in saying, and we're going to appoint pro-life justices. I think Donald Trump, ever the consummate businessman, knows this is the promise he must deliver on to you. This is the main contractual demand what was it 21 percent one of the leading one of the leading issues in the exit polling in this election gentlemen was it 21 or 26 percent of americans i think it was 26 was it 26 yeah. 
who, who voted in the presidential election said judicial nominees was their number one issue. One of the most dominant issues in the exit polling. So I, I think President Trump understands this is one he has to deliver on. But here's the thing. He is now one of us. So he's going to deliver on this based on what we're willing to accept. And that brings me to what we've seen here since he's been president. Diana Sykes was the immediate name, but out there after he, after he, uh, you know, after the election, she's disappeared. Why? Because conservatives at best were meh. Then leading into the inauguration, it was, it was Bill Pryor's world and the rest of us were just living in it. And then you had a bunch of people that remembered what he did to Judge Roy Moore in the Ten Commandments fight in the Bush years. And, and now his name has sort of disappeared. And now the new name is Neil Gorsuch. Then we're going to talk more about Neil Gorsuch later in this hour. Andy Schlafly from Eagle Forum went to law school with Neil Gorsuch. So he's going to give us his own testimonial and look into his judicial precedence because he's also just 49 years old, which means if he were put into that Scalia seat, he could hold it for as long as Antonin Scalia did. So here's where we come in. And this is my big idea that I want to present to you when we come back. Listening to Steve Dace. Don't blame us. He went to public school. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. So here's the thing. I don't pretend to be a Donald Trump expert. I used to know him. Haven't had a meaningful conversation with him in about a year and a half. All right. But I used to have several conversations with him. And when you're dealing with a man of his stature and charisma and stardom, sometimes you're not sure when you're getting a performance in a real person. That being said, the Donald Trump I used to know is interested in solutions, not problems. So while I think it is healthy for conservatives to be like Mr. Schlafly, who's going to join us later, and Mr. Whalen, his counterpart at National Review, who's not nearly as skeptical of some of these Federalist Society judges as Andy is, and you should go read his stuff too and do your, you know, make your own comparison and, and use that, you know, eight and a half pound, you know, gray muscle matter that God rested there comfortably between your temples. Yeah, you can think, you know, decide which take you agree with. I'm bringing Schlafly back in this case, particularly because he has a personal, you know, personal stake with Gorsuch, having known him since law school. So he has a he has he has a perspective that goes beyond just someone's interpretation of what a just judge's ruling in a particular case was. But go read Whalen stuff too, and make up your own mind. I think the best-selling book ever written once said something about wisdom in a multitude of counsel, right? So go go do that. We're here to inform. I'm not here to say Gorsuch is dead on arrival. Now, for me, Bill Pryor, dead on arrival. Because I have personal experience with what he did to Judge Roy Moore. When Judge Roy, was, Judge Roy Moore was trying to make the very argument, we need to restore the balance of the force here with the judiciary. To me, Pryor is personal to me. I don't know Diana Sykes from Adam, so I'm only going off what people say. Pryor, I do know. Gorsuch, I don't know. I'm only going off what people say. It's clear that the Trump that Trump's team is floating names out there to gauge 
conservative galvanization, conservative galvanizing, which is that's good, by the way. See, it's not always bad to have your standard bearer not buy into everything you do ideologically, provided they're willing to actually let you tell them what you want. It is bad when they don't see the way the Republican leadership typically works is they don't buy into what you think ideologically and then they tell you what you're going to get, what you're going to what you're going to purchase. If Trump doesn't buy into what you believe, there's nothing wrong with that, provided he's willing to sell you the product you actually want to buy. See the difference? And on, on this level, it appears that he is when it comes to the judges. And that's why I think instead of simply saying these judges we're hearing from so far aren't good enough. Eventually, they're going to have to make a decision, and it sounds like they're going to make it next week. Present someone who is good enough. Who is the right judge? And put your focus there. Because I do think President Trump would respond to that. I think President Trump would respond to a preemptive, unified, conservative front around a selection. Like, say, a Mike Lee, who's everything you love about Ted Cruz, but he also has more collegiality with his Senate colleagues which would help him sail through a Senate confirmation, which, of course, sail through Senate confirmation means something different in 2017 than it meant in 30 or 40 years ago. But you understand what I'm trying to say. It's They will pull the same thing on him they did on Jeff Sessions, but it makes Cory Poker look ridiculous when two years ago it was God bless Jeff Sessions, and now you're turning around and calling him a racist. That's an advantage a Mike Lee has over a Neil Gorsuch. Is Mike Lee can look at these guys? Say, hey, I worked with you on judicial reform. This is and, and the scam of how they of how they try to conduct their affairs on the other side gets exposed. You would have almost, I, I, and I would. I'm only saying almost because I'm sure there would be a naysayer somewhere. That's just human nature. But you would have nearly unanimous excitement and enthusiasm because he's also been vetted politically, so we know where he stands. We've seen what he champions. We've seen his speeches. We've seen his activism. We've seen how he votes. We've seen how he performs in ways we don't get to see judges in often cases. And so the vetting we rely on is the vetting that is done in confirmation hearings. Now, some of you, because I've seen this again today, some of you hate this idea. Well, we need him fighting in the Senate. Fighting for what? Fighting to be the losing vote almost every single time he attempts to do something for limited government. Well, we need him to hold the progressives accountable. Okay. I, I'm, but why worry about holding the progressives accountable when someone could offer you a position that would allow you to defeat them? Would you rather hold somebody accountable or would you rather beat them? Think Auburn would rather find out Nick Saban is cheating in recruiting? Or kick his ass in the Iron Bowl next November. Which do you think Gus Malzahn would rather do, guys? The latter. The latter. He'd rather win than hold him accountable. Steve, you don't understand judicial supremacy. Oh, yes, please, lecture me. Please. Because I only helped spearhead the only successful overthrow of judges by the voters in the history of this country. Right here in my home state. I was only one of the people that helped lead that fight. So you're right. I don't get this topic at all. I only spent three years doing this show every day. I don't know anything at all. You're buying into the premise that these judges have power. No, I'm buying into the premise that they're kicking our ass with the power they have. If we had the votes in the Senate right now to conduct judicial reform, then I would agree with you. He should stay where he's at because that's the long view win. I agree. Do we have those votes? 
No. In fact, well, Steve, there's got to be there's got to be other Scalia justices we have somewhere so we can keep Mike Lee in the Senate. Have you been? Have you been to an elite law school? Have you have you studied what they do? You know what they don't study? Let me tell you what you what I guarantee you. Ninety percent or more of you in this audience have read and studied more than the people that graduate, even the conservatives from elite law schools. Would you like to know what that is? The U.S. Constitution. My old buddy, Michael Peruca, used to be an attorney in the Reagan administration who founded the Institute on the Constitution. You know what he realized? You know why he founded the Institute on the Constitution? Because he realized that he graduated from law school and they never studied it. They only studied what judges' opinions of it were. And that's even the conservative justices. They believe something called stare decisis, which would be a whole other show for me to explain to you. But essentially what it means is whatever the latest trend or judicial interpretation of a law is, is what the law means. Or what they like to call precedent. Meaning the Constitution can say you have the right to keep and bear arms. But if a judge tomorrow decides that you don't, stare decisis demands that that's what the new law is. Does that sound like a free republic to you? Hell to the no. And that's what almost every one of these lawyers believes, including the conservative ones. I I don't know if you've noticed, but most of these justices that overturned these state constitutional amendments defining a, a marriage were Republican appointees. The law schools in this country are rot gut. Totally taken over by the progressives. That's exactly why you want a guy from Utah who could come from the hinterlands to come in that we all know that hasn't been poisoned by that well. My advice is if any conservative activists or organizations are never going to take my advice ever again in my career, take this advice. Get together in mass right now. Plan out how you're going to spend the next week rallying behind a candidate like a Mike Lee, if it's not him, but somebody like that you can agree on. Promote him or her to Trump and to the public and say, this is the one that we want. And I think if you do that, you're likely to get it. You're listening to Steve Dace. No other show sounds like him, because no other show would dare. This is Steve Dace. All right. I've spoken quite a bit here in the opening half hour or so of the show. Andy Schlafly from Eagle Forum is going to join us with his view of Neil Gorsuch, who's the name du jour right now, supposedly at the top of Trump's uh, Supreme Court nomination list in in place of Scalia. And I think he's this week's name to gauge how we as conservatives want to react. But if you look at the big picture here that I laid out, as well as a potential solution, Todd and Aaron, your thoughts? Well, I think some of the folks doing battle with you may be hearkening online and, and social media, may be hearkening back to the before the election. And we were uh, mocking people who were just obsessed with the courts and the courts because we believed and there were all other fronts that were worth considering. That obsession about one, even a very important one by the courts, is ultimately perhaps a fool's errand and a ruse and it gets you off target on the bigger picture. All of that is still true. But once 
the game has been, the deck has been reshuffled. Exactly. And this is the front that is right there before you. You dominate that front. What did I open the show with last night? What can you not change in politics? The environment. The environment. The environment is such, do we have a chief executive in the White House that will use his power to seriously roll back the size and scope of government? Do we have that? No. Do we have, a, do we have someone that will use his power to reintroduce constitutionalism through the power of his bully pulpit and his own actions, even though he'll do things that are better for the Constitution than Hillary would have? But I'm not talking about better short-term solutions. I'm talking about laying out a constitutional worldview and vision for the country. Do we have that? No. no. If we did have that, would we currently have the votes in the United States Senate in order to dramatically alter the landscape of the country accordingly? No. Now, maybe if someone else had been the GOP nominee and, had, and was able to beat Hillary, maybe we would have. On the other hand, maybe they would have strengths and weaknesses in other areas. I don't know. All I know is I can't change the environment. So what I'm offering is the best possible solution i can conjure up in the environment we have rather than sitting there and blogging to death one day we, we're, we're starting you know what's you know what's interesting aaron some of us in the conservative grassroots are beginning to sound like the republicans we lament well one day when we have a republican president and 60 senators and 240 mm-hmm. members of the house and five justices on the supreme court we'll be able to undo everything the democrats did when they never had those numbers for 50 years years we'll find out somehow that one sweet day we'll be able to do those things and now we're starting to sound like it no i want to win i am suggesting there are that this is not a perfect environment for us hell it may not even be a good one what i am suggesting though is there are ways to make it better than than what to, to use this environment to your advantage the president of the united states clearly either has little interest in or knowledge of who we want for judicial picks. He is openly auditioning names before us to replace Antonin Scalia. All I'm suggesting is, if this is the number one issue so many of you decided to bite the bullet and vote for him for, he's openly saying, what do you want? Why not take advantage of that? Yeah, and it, this is this is exactly that it is exactly akin to this carrot that the uh, Republican establishment, whatever that is, uh, has dangled in front of conservatives and its base for years, and that's what uh, led to this very backlash. Well, someday when we actually don't have or we're not in the minority, well, someday when we actually have uh, both of the uh, houses of Congress, someday when we have, it just goes on and on. And you're absolutely right. The the environment is what it is. There are some things that we can control, though, just like I can decide if it's going to start snowing, as it did earlier this afternoon. Um, this, this, uh, I, I can go inside. I can change what I can uh, change. And right now, what we can control is uh, Trump's nomination for Supreme Court, because it is obvious that all of these trial balloons that he's floating out there really are trial balloons, because they're, just, I mean, this, he's just trying to get reaction. So give him the reaction that you actually feel don't settle for something uh, you know second best actually as you said put somebody out there that you actually trust and believe will be a scalia isn't the the larger issue here where these people are stuck in the issue of binary choices two legs good four legs bad the simple fact that uh you, you can't not 
talk about, as we have before, a bigger picture than just obsessing about the courts. Uh, but once you have the the, the, uh, the the decision there in front of you uh, to, to focus exclusively on the courts, that that is where you put your energy. I, I think people are, are just so entrenched on a notion of painting I wish it was the wrong enemies. You're, you're, you're giving people too much credit. I wish you were right. Because what you laid out sucks. But I wish your your version was right. Let me tell you what it really is. Is a better suck? I want the symbolism. I want the soundbite. Because Mike Lee gives a speech in the Senate. And, and of course, nothing came of it. But I feel like something did. I even had a gentleman copy me on Twitter today to say, stay in the Senate. And copied uh, uh, Lee's chief of staff on it as well. Why, in, why wouldn't you want to give a guy with that kind of faithfulness real power is beyond me. You're listening to Steve Dace. We opine, you decide. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, as promised, Andy Schlafly joins us now from Eagle Forum. Looking at what is the latest uh, name du jour for Trump's Supreme Court uh, pick, which is said to be coming maybe next week to replace Antonin Scalia. Neil Gorsuch is uh, the hot name of this hour. It was Diana Sykes uh, a month or so ago. It was Bill Pryor a couple of weeks ago. Now it is Neil Gorsuch. And Andy, we welcome you back to the show, brother. How are you? Thank you, Steve, for having me on your great show. So you have some experience with Neil Gorsuch. You've known him for a long time, correct? Yes, I went to law school with him, knew him afterwards. Never heard him say a single thing that was pro-life. Never? Never. Not a single thing. And some people say, well, how do you know someone's pro-life, not pro-life? I mean, if you've read Sherlock Holmes, there's a famous story about the dog that didn't bark. And if, you know, if the dog doesn't bark when someone's robbing the house, guess what? The dog knew who the robber was, and they were friends, and, uh, you know, <laughs> he figured out who did the crime, right? So anyway, here's a guy who's never said anything pro-life. There's nothing pro-life in his record. And if you look closely enough, you'll see that he's indicated that he's pro-choice. You'll see the opinions if you dig deeply enough, and I'm not sure Trump's advisors have, but you dig deeply enough, you see he's referring to things like the viable fetus, the non-viable fetus. He's using all the pro-abort language. Now, and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be as fair as I can, particularly because most of our audience are not constitutional attorneys like you are. In fairness... Much of the pro-life movement, unfortunately, has adopted hook, line, and sinker the talking points and cliches of the killing industry. So it's uh, it, you know it, it's not it's not unique to hear people who represent us open their mouth and the other side's talking points come out. Is that possible? What is happening here, or is there is there evidence out there in his past opinions and rulings that he has backed up that uh, those false premises with action? Andy. Yeah, there is evidence he's backed up his pro-choice views with actions and decisions. So when he was talking in the case of Pino versus United States, and he's talking about a non-viable fetus and a viable fetus, he was unwilling to extend the rights of an unborn child who's viable to a 20-week-old, not-yet-viable unborn child. He was unwilling to do that, and he punted the issue to the Oklahoma Supreme Court for them to certify a question on it. 
So if you look closely enough, you can see this is someone who's pro-choice. And by the way, the church he goes to is publicly pro-choice and is publicly strongly opposed to pro-life laws, and there are other indications. He cited pro-abortion precedents favorably and so on. So how is he then, the, if, if, if all these things are true, how is he the hot name right now? It, I tell you, it, it's just it's frustrating to us, Steve, on our side of the political spectrum. I mean, here's President Trump pledged to pick someone pro-life before, after the election, up and down. You know, this was his read my lips. I'm going to pick someone who's pro-life. And then you get these advisors in D.C. who start pushing these pro-abort picks on them, and they start promoting them. You get the Federal Society, which is not a pro-life organization. It's in there advising the president. I mean, how'd that happen? Why is he taking advice from an organization that's not even pro-life to fulfill his pledge to pick someone who's pro-life? Doesn't make sense. I talked about this earlier in the hour. To me, looking at this, it is clear he is auditioning names. And that's yeah. where we went from Sykes to, to then Pryor to now Gorsuch. And it's clear he's trying to gauge what our, what, what our people really want. Because when you looked at the exit polling, as we pointed out, I think it was 26% of Americans said judicial nominees was the number one reason they voted. And so you got to think, you know, a lot of those were people that voted for him. So he's, so I think we're dealing with a guy that really doesn't either care or know a lot about this stuff because he's not really ran in our circles and is willing to do to some extent what we would like him to do when he's auditioning names. Do you get that feeling, Andy? He is putting out what we call trial balloons or auditioning names to, to hear what the feedback is. So the, he's deliberately put out the name Deal Gorsuch to see if we object. So what do we have to do, Steve? We have to object and scream from the mountaintops, this guy, Neil Gorsuch, is unacceptable. No, 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 no. Now, you did that with Bill Pryor, and God bless you, Steve. I mean, you were out there, it was on your show a month or two ago, and we were criticizing Bill Pryor, and we've apparently knocked him out of contention. And thank God, you know, someone's listening, and they'll listen to us again about Neil Gorsuch and how he's unacceptable, and he needs to be eliminated from contention. At some point, though, they've got to name somebody. Is there is there yep. somebody on his list, that list that he gave to all the, the social conservative leaders last May that came from the Federalist Society, that came from Heritage, or there, or is there other names that aren't on the list? I know he's talked well, to Mike well, Lee. Are there, are there yeah. names out there well, that could be rallied behind as, as, as counters to this? Yeah, both. And, Steve, I saw your email. You suggested Mike Lee. Mike Lee is on the list. Mm-hmm. And he's a young senator from Utah. He is pro-life. There's no question about that. Mike Lee is pro-life. So he'd be wonderful. He'd be just wonderful. Um, and there are a few others. There's a guy, Charles Kennedy, who's 62 years old, a little bit up there in the years, but I'm not one who, who you know, cares whether the guy's 62, 58, you know, 55. I mean, what difference does it make? I and mean, we want to overturn Roe v. Wade in the next 10, 15 years, and he's young enough to do that. So he's on the Florida Supreme Court. The thing is, he, he looks older than he is. So we get into that a little bit, Steve, and, and there's starting to be some media about that where uh, somehow they're looking for someone who looks the part. You know, it's a casting call. And, we and, Gorsuch, is, and Gorsuch I mean, is 49 years old. I, I read one account of him yesterday. I got about a minute here, Andy, but one, one, yeah. one account of him on another issue, religious liberty, yeah. that expressed some concerns. Not that he came down the wrong side in his friend of the court brief, I think it was in the Hobby Lobby case, but the rationale he used to do so actually was from a premise that could be used against us later on. Have you seen some of that analysis? Yeah, yeah that's right. And just as bad is that he's been a big promoter of transgender rights. So this is a guy who's coming with a style of legal reasoning that's not conservative, 
It's a liberal style of legal reasoning. And, you know, it's like when, you know, someone tries to play a tune and they're a little off key and a musician can notice that he's off key. When he renders conservative decisions, they're off key. They're not using our style of reasoning. Andy, thank you very much for the scholarship uh, that you're doing on this. I know having uh, having some experience in trying to provide accountability on our side, I'm I'm I am painfully aware that the very people you're often trying to help often uh, receive it as the exact opposite. So, uh, even though you're not necessarily making it easy for us, I appreciate, and I know most of us listening tonight appreciate the work that you're doing here. Thank you. Well, God bless you, Steve, for all you do in getting the word out. Thank you. Thank you. That's Andy uh, Schlafly from Eagle Forum. We'll have some reaction to what you just heard from Andy here in just a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. The Bible and the Constitution don't just apply to Democrats. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So we just heard from Andy Schlafly over at Eagle Forum, went to law school with Neil Gorsuch, has known him for many years, has been vetting some of his uh, opinions on uh, as, as a judge, and he has a lot of concerns about him being the name du jour uh, that is being bandied about this week uh, as a potential replacement for Antonin Scalia. Your views on the conversation we just had with uh, with with Andy Schlafly. Aaron, I'll start with you. Well, thank um, goodness we have people like Andy who are, are willing to speak up. Um, th- th- that's not that's not easy to do, especially when you've known a guy personally, uh, just to, to really call out uh, what should be called out. And uh, for, I, I think, all of us, I can say on the show that uh, the abortion issue, the pro-life issue, is a closed hand issue. It can tell you so much about a person and how they will uh, defend uh, your other rights uh, with what they do with that right. The first right the right to life. And so I, I think it's completely justified to have these t- uh, types of conversations. And But having said that, there are going to people, be people that say, well, there's, that's not a huge deal. Or, you know, he, he wasn't directly, um, he, he hasn't directly said his pro-life or life on, uh, views on life, I should say. And so, you know, this is not as big of a deal. Well, you know what? That's okay. You can listen to those people. Uh, you can do your own research. But this is from a guy, what we just heard is from a guy who knows uh, Neil Gorsuch uh, personally, and so I think that carries a lot of weight. Even if you don't agree with Andy's analysis, uh, he's performing a function and begging questions that we we need we to be asking. Consider. Especially we're going to hand a lifetime appointment and this amount of power to somebody, Todd. Yeah, I'm not worried about his analysis. I'm absolutely fascinated by, speaking of Sherlock Holmes, the detective work they go to. I mean, why wouldn't you go, uh, t- what church does he belong to? What history does that particular uh, yeah, domination? That's a, world, that's a worldview issue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, but, the, if the fact that Obama sat there and listened to a Marxist in the pulpit named Jeremiah Wright for so many years huh, was relevant. Look what we got. Yeah, isn't it relevant to know who Neil Gorsuch is listening to him preach, preach to him every single Sunday? Absolutely, but even from our perspective, the the primary case to be made for any particular judge can't be 
look at the church this guy goes to. So having the information is really, really important. But then weighing against an entire lifetime of judicial, let's say this guy has nailed it out of the park. He's been a hundred percent, but he's never it, dealt with a a substantive pro life issue. It could be in some church that he was baptized in. His parents went to. You're right. So we need to be wiser serpents that and innocent. If as you're dogs. saying that that can't be the only thing you look at, I would agree. But you'll notice that Andy brought that up in the context of several other concerns. Okay. Yes. And so there, I do. I do think it's part of an overall package. I do. And a smart one. People go to churches and stay in churches. You know, people stay in denominations that go wayward, even though their particular church has not necessarily bought into the new progressive tidal wave. It's more complicated. And we don't want to sound like the people in tinfoil hats. Yeah, and that that is where you start getting pharisaical. I do think, though, that if you're you're viewing it in the context of trying to find an explanation for the other concerns you have, that's where I think you have a, a chain of evidence aspect. Hour two is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 here of the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Matt Walsh joins us again here Tuesday night from The Blaze, one of, for my money, one of the absolute best conservative writers out there. And it's good to have you back, my friend. How are you? Thanks for having me. So, Matt, like me, during the campaign, you were a, a wee bit of a Trump skeptic. But now that we are going on four days into the reign of President Trump, your thoughts, your big picture view. Well, as far as the moves that he's made, uh, I, I'm a fan of those. You know, today he had the uh, he got the, the two pipelines pipelines going. I like that. Uh, the defunding international plan. Parenthood yesterday was a huge move. The Mexico City policy, so uh, that that was great as well. So I, I'm not aware of it's only been a few days, but I'm not aware of any executive order that he signed or policy move that he's made that I that I have a big problem with. Um, you know, I I was concerned though, uh, although too big a deal was made of it. I was concerned on Saturday when you know his first full day in office was spent uh, arguing about crowd sizes and the blatant lying that went on with that. That concerned me because that's, you know, that's Trump um, putting his ego and his vanity above everything else and spending an entire day um, sort of trying to, uh, you know, puff up his own vanity. And, and so, so that, that concerns me. If, if we have a lot of days like that, it's going to be a problem. Um, so I, it's a mixed bag, which, I, which is kind of what I would expect from Trump. You know, one of the things we talked about earlier in the show tonight, Matt, is when you peel back all the cowbell that you just talked about, peel back the persona, you know, with the exception of DACA 
And he hasn't broken his promise to uh, get rid of Obama's illegal executive amnesty, but he hasn't moved on it as quickly as many of his supporters had hoped. But with that, with that, with that uh, exception, for the most part, his track record here so far in the first week of keeping promises he made has been pretty good. And so uh, there, there, that's, this is prompting a big debate on our side because, of course, when it comes to Trump, that's usually what it co- what, what, what happens amongst conservatives as we argue with each other about this. Uh, and, and so the debate is whether this is four-dimensional chess, sending Spicer out there to argue about tiny crowds like tiny hands, is done to keep them off the scent uh, of what Trump is really doing behind the scenes, or is this just simply a guy with a massive ego who has a platform to uh, to uh, exercise it, uh, you know, that is butting heads with a feckless media, and and there the the brokenness of these two entities sort of on its own creates this environment that allows him to get away with things that might be harder for a more conventional Republican. What's your view of that entire debate matter? Do you think it's irrelevant? Um, but I, I, I do not subscribe to the four-dimensional chess theory. Uh, I, I just don't. I, don't. I don't see it in... I mean, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but with that, that theory basically supposes that, that Donald Trump is really not in a, a kind of shallow egomaniac and that this is all an act. It's a brilliant act that he's, that he's putting on uh, in order to, you know, sneak through these different policy decisions, and so he can do what he wants without, like you said, throwing the throwing the media off the scent. I don't. I just don't. I, that I don't. I don't think the facts bear that out. I don't think his life story bears that out. I don't think anything bears that out. I think he sent Spicer out there to lie about crowd sizes because he really wants people to think that he gets big crowds, and he cares a lot about what people think of him. And so that's it. He's just. It's just vanity, and it's it's really that simple. Um, I and, and honestly, I'm not even even if it was three dimensional or four dimensional or seven dimensional chess. I don't even know if that would make it any better. Um, if this was all just a put on, I, I don't know. But that's no, I don't I, I don't buy into that personally. How much do you feel compelled to defend him, or do you think that's irrelevant? And when he does what you agree with, you support it. When he doesn't, you don't. Because that's my theory. But but what do you say to people that feel compelled to carry his water on situations like the one we were just describing that went down on Saturday? My strategy is, is very simple, that if he is right, then I will defend him. If he's attacked unfairly or to an unfair degree over something, then I will defend him. Uh, but if he's attacked fairly then I will join in the attack. So it's, it's a really simple strategy for me. It's the same strategy that it's the strategy I would apply to anybody, not just Trump. Frankly, it's the strategy that I applied to Obama. It's just that, you know, most of the time the attacks were fair because Obama did a lot of terrible things. But on the rare occasion when he was attacked unfairly, then I would have said that's an unfair attack. Uh, like the birth certificate thing, for instance, I was never on board with that. I was, you know, I, I defended him on that because I thought that whole thing was completely silly and ridiculous. Um, but those were were were, uh, were far between. So you know, that, that's, it's not our job as conservatives, or forget about that. It's not our job as Americans to defend the honor of the president. Um, that's not. We, he's not royalty. We, we we don't live under a monarchy. He's in. The, he's a. We call it a public servant for a reason. He's supposed to be serving us. And so when he serves us the right way, we should be encouraging of that. But when he goes off course, then. We should offer some correction. I, I don't know why people struggle with this. It seems so obvious to me. 
And yet, a lot of our brethren and peers in this business do seem to struggle with this. Why do you think that is? Why is what you articulated, which to me just seems rather simple, why is it not that simple for a lot of people to do what we do for a living? There are a couple of things that feed into it. First of all, you have the tri- just a very simple tribal mentality that you see on both sides of this of the fence. Um, and we have our Republican tribe and Obama or Trump at the at the top of it. So we have to defend the uh, the tribe, you know, the tribe leader. Um, and you know, liberals do that as well. So that's some of it. And then on top of it, I think you, you'll find a lot of uh, conservatives or a number of conservatives who will just come out, will come right out and say, listen, yeah, I do have a double standard. I am going to defend him when he lies and he does the wrong thing because this is what the left has done for so long, and I'm tired of playing by different rules, so we're going to do the same thing as them. We're going to fight fire with fire. And so I think you're seeing a lot more of that now, this fight fire with fire kind of mentality. But I don't subscribe to that because part of the whole reason I oppose the left is that they are moral relativists. Uh, it's that they have, you know, that their standard changes depending on the situation, that they don't have these fundamental principles. That, that's the whole reason that I'm against the so-called left. So if we if we become like them, then what are we opposing anymore? Uh, so I just, I, I think uh, the fight fire with fire thing is not the right strategy. You fight fire with water. You know, if they're the fire, then we should be the water. We should be the exact opposite of them. Uh, not not the same because when you you know it's kind of like if you, if you fight fire with fire you might end up with a much bigger fire and I think that's what we're what we might see here. What do you say to people listening to us tonight who say, but you know what he's lying about this stuff in order to uh, fight back against people that lie about what we believe and that's what's required in order to win this? Well, it's, I just think it's such a ridiculous, absurd argument. You don't you don't fight. People are accusing you of being a liar. And this is what, you know, the media accuses Donald Trump of being a liar, doesn't trust anything he says. Uh, and if they're accusing you of that, then you don't fight that accusation by lying. Not only lying, but, but by telling really obvious lies that could be immediately confirmed as lies. But it's just not, uh, forget about the morality of it for a second and the ethics of it, which does concern me, but it's just not a good strategy. The, the, the good strategy, and also the most ethical and moral one, is to actually be honest, as honest as we can be, um, and to be essentially the good guys. And that, I think that's the best strategy, to tr- is to try to win people to our side that way. But what if you're dealing with people that aren't capable of responding to the angels of our better nature that you are articulating? What if it requires getting down into the muck and the mire? What if you got to break a few eggs in order, uh, you know, in order to make that omelet, so to speak? I just don't think you, you know, you can. We can be harsh. Uh, we can be direct. We can be bold. We can be all of these things. I believe in that. I know you do. I mean, it, you know, mm-hmm. be, be straight talking, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I have no problem with fighting the left on those grounds being very aggressive, I guess is the word I'm searching for. We could be very aggressive in fighting the left, and I, and I totally believe in that, and I completely believe that conservatives for too long have been uh, too mild and too meek and too afraid and too cowardly. But we can be aggressive while maintaining our principles and our ethics. And, th- and that, I think that's how we win. Because if we end, at the end of this, my, my biggest concern with Trump all along has been that uh, at the end of his four years or eight years or however long it is, 
we're going to look across the you know the, the landscape here, the political landscape, and there's going to be no distinction anymore between conservative and liberal. And we will have both descended into the muck, as you say, and we get stuck down there. And now there's just no way to tell who's who anymore. We'll have more with Matt Walsh from The Blaze in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. This is Steve Dace. Welcome back, Matt Walsh from The Blaze. Is our guest here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's switch gears. Over the weekend, massive demonstrations all throughout the country, really all throughout uh, certain aspects of the world. Uh, in fact, uh, this this global women's march that went on over the weekend. Neither you and I are big fans of egalitarian feminism, gender bending madness, progressive morality, etc. Yet, I, I think in in my viewpoint, I, I did this a Facebook Live video for Conservative Review about this yesterday. I think the worst thing we could do is to is to feed their frenzy, uh, to give them a bitter clinger comment, uh, to, to, to essentially help them launch their own Tea Party movement. Because right now the left is pretty disorganized. I mean, you look at their leaders, almost none of them were at this march. They all went to try and, or many of them went to try and curry favor with David Brock of Media Matters Infamy, infamy instead. So I don't, I don't want us to give them their Meryl Streep straw man. My, my thought is, let them have their say. Uh, and I thought actually the tweet Trump put out, which clearly wasn't written by him, but Ivanka, Jared, or Kellyanne, uh, but the tweet that he put out officially I thought was the right reaction. Let him have their say. Move on the very next weekend of the March for Life, but the best way to snuff out a fire is to deny it oxygen. What's your view, Matt? I, I, I think there's something to be said for that um, for that point of view, but I think, you know, when you, when you look at what went on at this so-called Women's March, uh, just the things that were said, the signs, just the, you know, people dressing up in, 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 as, as genitalia, just the entire scene. Um, I think that it, it, it can behoove us as conservatives to show that, to, you know, because look, 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 everyone, look at what they're doing. I mean, this is, this is crazy. This is nonsense. What's happening? The difference between them and, say, the, you know, with the Tea Party uh, movement, Tea Party had a lot of great points. And Tea Party, you know, when you, when you had a Tea Party rally, people got together and there wasn't any of this, this craziness. It was, it was very, uh, I went to a lot of Tea Party rallies, as I'm sure you did, and it was very disciplined and organized, and people were, were actually peaceful and reasonable. And so that was a problem that the media ignored us, because they didn't want, this is the same reason why they don't, they don't cover the March for Life, because they don't want people to see just how, just how you know, reasonable and peaceful this, this, uh, this event really is. But when it comes to these liberal events, I mean, it's just so grotesque. But I, I tend to think, yeah, let's, Let's give them some attention. Let's let's show people what they're doing. I mean, you've got a bunch of, this isn't the case for everyone that was there, but largely you have a bunch of women wearing genitalia-themed headwear uh, chanting essentially that they want more dead babies. So, yeah, they, they want people to see them. I say, go ahead. But, yeah, let's, let's look at them. Let's, is this really, the, are these the people that we really want to agree with? Do we really want to take them seriously? If the left wants to present itself in this way, then I say let them do it, and yeah, let's watch. Because I think most people, even people that are more in the middle, 
they see that and they think, oh, you know, I'm not, no, I don't, I don't want any part of that. So. I don't, I don't disagree know. with that. I mean, that's what that's you're, what, you're articulating the same thing that worked well in the Texas abortion debate a couple of years ago when they were chanting Hail Satan, throwing tampons and feces, highlighting that or uh, works to our advantage, I agree, or highlighting Shia LaBeouf essentially, uh, you know, assaulting a, 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 a counter protester at the event. I agree with that. I'm speaking more to, but we also, let's face it, there's plenty of people that were there that didn't. Uh, their 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 worldview may be foolishness, but they didn't make fools of themselves in the ways that you're talking about. My concern is uh, that we can create among them the sort of backlash movement that Obama's dismissive and um, uh, and and condescending comments about the concerns of the Tea Party uh, created uh, throughout the course of his presidency as well. That's I'm more addressing that particular aspect of it, as if they don't have any legitimacy on any level whatsoever. Even if we disagree, I think that's actually playing into their hands. This this entire worldview is built on victimology, and I think it, we were just having a conversation about you know don't don't stoop to their level of dishonesty because once you become moral relativist yourself then you're 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 accepting the premise of their argument you're fighting on their domain and i think once we once we treat the all of their concerns with a condescending sneer uh and make victims out of them that's actually what they seem to do best i, I think those are valid valid concerns and, and uh either way i mean that's something we should keep in mind we don't, we don't want to feed into the victim mentality the only thing i'd, I'd bring up just a few points in response to that uh First of all, because victimology is their entire ball game, they're going to be victims no matter what we do. So it doesn't matter doesn't matter how we respond. They're going to make themselves as victims. victims. Number two, yeah, the Tea Party movement. I think the Tea Party movement would have come along regardless of any of those dismissive uh, comments from Obama. Uh, but things you, like yeah, I mean, but I don't you think it, don't you think he fed it though? I don't think there's any yeah, question yeah, yeah. he fed it. Yeah, he did. He did feed it. But my point is that. Uh, so the analogy to that is not, you know, is, is well, Trump is now the, the Obama then in that situation. And unfortunately, Trump has already made the comment that, I mean, the whole grab him by the, by the you-know-what comment, mm-hmm. that was, I think this march would have happened without that, but that certainly gave them an angle, and it gave them something to, you know, grab onto, pardon the expression, but grab onto. And, um, and so they already have, you know, that, uh, unfortunately, that was, that was one of the arguments a lot of us made with Trump is, Let's not put Trump in there because they, you know they're going to have a lot of ammo, and uh, and they're going to be able to paint themselves as victims because look we do let's face it we do have a Republican president who did in fact brag uh, on videotape about sexually assaulting women he did and that's you know he, that did happen so they already have um, they already have it and you know what if they had just if this whole march had simply been in response to that it just simply totally been in response to comments from Donald Trump. Then I would say, all right, fine, let them go ahead and do it, and you know they actually have a valid point. But they've taken that and they've used it because they don't care about it. they don't they don't actually care what Donald Trump said. They don't care about that. They they're just using that as a wedge to get in to 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 advance their their agenda, which is abortion, free birth control, so on and so forth. And so on that front, look, they've already got the comment, they've already got the spark, the fire's going, um, no matter what we do. And so I, I tend to think address it head on is, is the move, especially when their agenda is just so grotesque and so hideous and monstrous when you look at it in its face. So I say take the mask off and show it to people. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it, it, I hope that, that Trump keeps this in mind and doesn't say anything else 
to feed that fire, although I'm sure he will because he can't help himself. But yeah, we should keep this in mind. And when we when we respond, I think we should respond. But when we respond, do so honestly and do so rationally. So yeah, I, I think I think both we're, we're both articulating a strategy that can work. I think hand in hand. Final thing: Did they make any good points at all, in your view? Now, aside from the fact that Donald Trump made some really inappropriate comments, uh, you know that they're right about that. So that's so fine. Um, so that's a, a valid point. But as for everything else, they're you know the agenda that they've attached to that, or uh, I, I, don't, I don't think they have any valid points. Their points are all you know abortion, birth control, and beyond that. Their points are that that women are not are not equal. You know that's what underlies all this is that they're using this as a as a uh, as a way to prove that women are not equal in society, not legally equal, not institutionally equal. And no, I don't think that's a valid point. I think it's I think it's totally nonsense. I think women are completely equal equal legally speaking, and you could even make the argument are unequal. In fact, they're treated as superior legally because they're given rights that men do not have, uh, such as, for instance, the right to kill their own children. I don't think they have a, I don't think they have an argument there. Matt Walsh from the Blaze, always good to talk to you, my friend. We'll do it again soon. God bless. Take care. You're listening to Steve Dace. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to know where to find them. The Steve Dace Show. All right, let's get some reaction to what we just heard from Matt Walsh from The Blaze here on the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Aaron and Todd, questions, comments, insults. What stood out to you about the conversation we just had with Matt? I, I still think that there's not a huge need to address this head-on, as uh, I think was the gist of, of what you were trying, that the point that you were trying to make on Monday's show, that uh, this this there, there's no real need to do it because these people are crazy. This these these this this outburst that they always have. This is why most of the country doesn't like them. This is why most of the country uh, had a backlash on November eighth against this type of behavior. Why would you try? Why would you risk making them into victims when they're already doing your dirty work for you? There's just there's no need to confront this. I don't think. Now I, I think the other reason is that most people on our side. I, I'm sorry. I just don't trust to be able to um, engage these people in a way that does not make them into victims. There's a way. I think Matt is right. There's a way to do this there's a way to have these conversations and confront these people without making them into victims but uh, i just don't trust most people on our side to be able to do that i found it interesting when he said that he, and he feels important and compelled to point out uh, these stories because the world needs to see how insane they are we talk all the time about mm-hmm. our, it is important to mercilessly mock these people because you can be vicious, right? If you use uh, humor, it's also important to simply point out, and here the timing is perfect, here this uh, very weekend we will have the March for Life. Mm-hmm. It hap- I can't remember how many years that has occurred. Has it occurred every year since Roe v. Wade? But it's occurred for a very long time. Mm-hmm. It gets scant, if no coverage in the national media, media while we obsessed about this, and this was overtly, primarily, about abortion so should it should we obsess on our side should we turn it into this 
two legs for good good legs bad binary choice thinking ultimately become Sean Hannity of course we shouldn't do that but that is not to say that we are not fundamentally in this show ultimately about truth and when there are lies to be uh, uh, rent asunder especially when those lies are filling up our national capital we do have to confront it it's in some way. So it's about how we do it, not if we do it. Right. And I, I just I just used language myself, our side, their side. Uh, we should ultimately, you're, you're right, we should ultimately just be about truth. And nobody, I don't think anybody um, on, on either side of the aisle, again, using the binary language there, but I don't think... Uh, the vast majority of people are just wanting that. I think they like, I, they just like this. They like the popcorn, uh, the, the show that's being put on right now. They love, uh, seeing the left get on and seeing the left out, um, you know, burst out and have these angry outbursts because it's just good. It's just, uh, it's just fun. It's, it's good entertainment. And I, I mean, that, that, that is, that says a lot about our culture. And it's just, I think it says, a lot about how systemic just we are uh, in our rottenness at this particular well, point. Well, and that, yeah, you've just nailed one of my biggest fears that ultimately we will go through four years of this be, and perhaps be marginally better off than we were, but because of this media circus that many people yeah. will believe that America has been cha- transformed that it uh, is in yeah. fact great again yeah yeah it's if if there is any actual legitimately good change it's going to be accidentally i mean it's kind of like it's going to be kind of like donald trump won the presidency it's like nobody expected him to and he just kind of backed his way into it if there is going to be change yes. at the end of the uh, at the end of these 4 or 8 years uh for the better it's going to be uh, really it's really not going to be because of anything that we did as a people. As I've said before, but our best hope is that we are playing Russian roulette with one bullet in the chamber instead of five. Yeah, uh, that's that's well said. And as we as we keep looking at these these protests, there are going to be more, especially early on, and I, I surely hope not. I mean, just at a human level, I hope there's not going to be too much damage like what we saw, damage in rioting and looting. Uh, but you know there is going to be more. But, you know, you, you feel for people who have to deal with that. Um, but at the same time, um, this we have to tailor our responses and not just have knee-jerk responses ready to go every time something like this yeah, happens it, it, it is going to happen. You saw, did you see yesterday, it's like a 70-something-year-old woman yeah. was dragged off an airplane because she was sitting next to a Trump supporter. Yeah. And once she found that out, she just ended up giving him the riot act. And uh, unbelievably, in this culture, she's the one who got dragged off the airplane. They just think it's open season on everyone who doesn't agree with them. Yeah, the mob is hungry, Aaron. Yeah, that's that's why I say I hope. I think that's a false hope, a blind hope. Um, but it's it's still hope at all. We'll have more on the Steve Day Show next. You're listening to Steve Dace. part of the problem don't bother getting out of the way stay right there and we'll run over you this is steve dace all right i want to completely switch gears for a few minutes can we do that sure Sure we can 
because the name is of the Steve show is Days, and that's my name. So yeah, I get to switch gears. Hopefully, I'm switching to a good one. All right. So this morning, I'm at the gym, getting a little workout, and get my workout on, right? And I'm on the elliptical, flipping channels for whatever reason. The elliptical I'm on doesn't the ESPN two channel because they switched it around. So I'm typically working out between eight to t- sometime in a window between eight to ten a.m. or eight to ten thirty, and somewhere in there for about an hour, hour and a half. So typically when I'm there, um, that uh, the the Stephen A. Smith Max Kellerman show was on. You know, yeah, and I for, I. I will confess my unpopular opinion. I like Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, I, I like the fact that he is willing to take contrarian views and defend them, just because you're so used to people in our industry just following the talking points memo of their side. So I like the fact he's a contrarian. That being said, when it was him and Skip Bayless, two really smart but annoying and grating guys going after each other, that was good TV, I thought. Kellerman can't hold... When, in, in, in the canoe... In the, Kellerman's job is to be a canoe. And in the in the in the canoe aspect, he can't hold Skip Bayless as jock. Few people probably can, frankly. Okay, so I can't stand it. So, but but they just switched it from ESPN to ESPN two. So go to turn on ESPN. They're on. I go to turn on ESPN. Oh yeah, that's right. They switch. I want to watch Sports Center. They'll give me live shots of you know teams preparing for the Super Bowl, college basketball, etc. So ESPN two doesn't come in on my machine, and all the other machines are filled. So. I flip it back to ESPN. These guys are on. I last for 10 seconds. Because do you want to know what they are debating? Oh, gosh. And I, and I only no. stuck around for maybe it was a little, maybe say a minute. Because I just wanted to see what the, what the angle was, what the hook was. The entire debate they were having was whether it was offensive for Tom Brady to have Donald Trump as one of his friends. What have you said before about uh, MSNBC this and is, sports talk? Well, radio? I, 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 and I thought, is this what we have become? You now can't. This is the most powerful person on the planet right now, and 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 he's going to make life and death decisions for you and your children every single day. And regardless of his viewpoint, you're not allowed to be his friend. You know, LeBron James was very friendly with Hillary. With Obama, didn't make me fruit for any... Di- I still rooted like crazy. You guys were with me last year during the NBA playoffs. Who did I root for the entire time? LeBron in Cleveland, because I thought it would be a great story. Never dawned on me to think, well, you know, he's out there campaigning for Hillary, so I hope they lose. I just, I'm not wired that way. And, and I work in this business full time. And... This of all the things to debate and to talk about, is this what it has come to within progressivism now? You can't even befriend people yes. that you don't that don't that don't think exactly like you. It's funny you mentioned that. That's a hell of a definition of diversity, Todd. Almost as you speak, about ten minutes ago, uh, social media, uh, and a, a uh, former colleague of mine and somebody I would have called a friend just called me out with uh, because I do, disagreed with him on something, and he's, he's an uber-liberal, and he knows I'm not, but he said, quote, what happened to you, man? Sad. D- for that very reason, yes, it is all. And I'm the one who survived for 12 years in the Des Moines Register. 
I mean, the, like I, I'm the one who has a problem getting along with others. It's a problem, and you know what? With sports radio, really quickly, it's not. I, I always hate it when people say, you know, just stay in your lane, just stick to sports. That's not. I know that's not the point you're making because I don't care. You're just like anybody else. Talk about whatever you want to. My point is, you're saying, don't be so bad at it. Yes, you're awful at yes. this. <laughs> I, that's to me. I, I am just because you know what the you know what the, the next segment will be is. We want athletes to be more politically active. We want athletes to have more, be more socially aware. No, you don't. You want them to be more like you. That's what you want. You want them to be more liberal. That, that's what you want. That's what you want. This is nothing about being socially aware. You just want them to advocate for your viewpoint. That's what you want. Yeah, and this is why there's there's no such thing as a contrarian opinion on these networks like MSNBC and ESPN. I'm sorry I repeat myself, but this is uh, Stephen A. Smith, when it comes to these types of issues. Now, let me just the- say this. In fairness, he might have handled it well. Mm-hmm. The other two guys that talked, one guy actually tried to make the point of, I didn't even vote for Trump. And I think this entire conversation you brought me on to have here is way out of bounds. Kellerman starts arguing with the guy. I didn't even, I couldn't hang in there long enough to see if Stephen A. Smith would actually air a contrarian viewpoint on this mm-hmm. because the because what I had seen in that one minute was so insipidly feckless I couldn't last. Yeah, and this is this is another reason we should just keep a list of reasons why people backlash against the left. You'll notice any time that um, a leftist tries to confront somebody who has a different opinion than them, it's not about having a different opinion. It's always about why it's wrong for you to have that opinion. It's not debating anything that has to do. So, for instance, uh, with the the abortion issue, it's not wrong uh, for you to disagree with them. It's wrong for you to um, even think about having a different uh, opinion. That I think from the same people, Todd, with the coexist bumper sticker. Yeah, and this is why. because the left is so bad at this, there is some truth to just keeping the circus going forever on Trump's side. Because, yes, he will have to govern on some level, but not as much as you think. Look at Obama's signature accomplishment of Obamacare. It gave a bunch of good feelings. It was a colossal failure. He still weighed in as relatively successful compared to all the other politicians. And if it weren't for Hillary being so tragically broken, it's very possible that another Democrat would have won. So keeping this circus circus ginned up and doing it better than those fools unfortunately isn't the worst game plan there is if just winning is the bottom line so you know what that is an excellent point that you just made and it leads me to something i want to get into i'm going to do something briefly when we come back i'm going to give some earnest advice to the other side and i mean it not this isn't concern trolling this is not tongue-in-cheek i mean it because If we're going to have a two-party duopoly in this country, and this is something I've been talking about since the election, if we're going to have a two-party duopoly in this country, it is not good for one of them to go off on a lunatic fringe, because they will drag the other one with them, maybe slower, kicking and screaming. But what do we see throughout Europe? You see an uber-left party, you you see a corporatist progressive party, and then that's it. Unless you have a Nigel Farage type of movement, you just have two shades of the left. It's what you see in Canada, it's what you see in Europe. We don't want that to happen here. So I've got some advice next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Beating liberals is important, but more important, who you beat them with. This is Steve Dace. 
All right, so here's the thing. And, I, and this is not concern trolling. I'm not pearl clutching. This isn't tongue-in-cheek. I'm dead serious about this. It is not good for us. We don't have a conservative party right now. We don't. We have, we have a globalist, progressive, Marxist party, and we have a small-p, corporatist, progressive party that is attempting to either um, ingratiate or be hostile, taken over by a, 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 a minor form of nationalism. That's, that's the two-party duopoly we have in America right now. Therefore, in any duopoly... It is bad for one side to go off the lunatic fringe. Because if you have a duopoly, that means that they are intertwined in some way. Now, a healthy system is when they're actually at odds. See, what we have now is partisanship for partisanship's sake, not for the sake of of deeply held convictions or ideologies. That ought to be vigorous and contested with maximum gusto as far as i'm concerned but that's not what we have what we have now are brands and so that's a duopoly that's the difference between a two-party competition and a duopoly we have a duopoly you guys on the left who told you it was a good idea to become a coastal regional party. Because that's what you're becoming if you're not already there. Now, how did you get there? Because of the conversation we just had. You like mocking people who are different. Than yes, you're, you've made the determination that people who don't think exactly like you aren't fit for high society. Even if you're a 10-year-old, if your dad has an R after his name, you will be made fun of and you will be mocked as well. Exactly right. Nothing's off limits. The government can be used. I mean, the lack of self-awareness from the same people saying that, that these designers shouldn't ha- should absolutely not be forced to make the dresses for Melania Trump were the same people that said, bake that cake, bigot. This idea that, see, you're, you're operating off a premise that, that we live for you. And that if we don't agree to live exactly like you do, we're not fit... We're not fit for equality. We're not, we're not fit for recognition. We're not, we're not, worse than that, we are, we are, we are targets for, of government. We can be targeted by government for our beliefs. Where did you ever think, have you never read a history book? Where did you ever think you were going to, you were going to adopt this methodology and people would just sit there and say, by all means, hit me again. And I know because you ran into a bunch of McConnell and type Republicans that for the last 25 years we've sort of conditioned you to think that way. But if you want to know the number one reason people went out and got a person as damaged as Donald Trump to be their champion is they knew he would hit back. The era of this, of the one-sided bullying is over. The sooner you recognize that, the better off you'll be. You're listening to Steve Dace. to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights 
are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Back with Hour 3 here tonight at the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour, we're going to talk about the brand new book, Gosnell, the untold story of America's most prolific serial killer, soon to be a major motion picture. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or protest? morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is indeed three questions when our producer Aaron gets to go off-road for a segment each night. Ask us three questions about any three things. Nothing is off-limits. He just has to answer the same questions himself. It's how we maintain some veneer of accountability around here, Aaron. Thank you, Steve. Uh, When it comes to government, what in your mind best illustrates the systemic collapse of Western civilization? Is there a story in your mind that illustrates that uh, to a T? I I think it's I think what's really difficult, Aaron, is to come up with one. Right. I mean, we, we could come up with I think the story may be how many times in a given week we could say this is the story that systemically details the collapse of western civilization we could pick that story all the time funding planned parenthood the fact that republicans are reticent to defund an organization that funds doesn't just kill little kids a few hundred thousand of them a year but is actually the number one sugar daddy of their political opponents is beyond me uh you know what we talked about earlier president obama sues nuns Okay, I mean, we could come up with those kinds of stories, the snowflake stories that you come up with uh, so often in the nightly buzz. And to think most of this is most of these are happening at public universities that are subsidized. We are subsidizing universities to essentially indoctrinate our kids with the very worldview that the greatest generation spent the next three decades after World War Two trying to defeat when it came from the USSR. And now, and now, and now, after you spent billions of dollars for decades driving the, U, driving the USSR into the ground, now you're spending billions of dollars to have those exact same viewpoints indoctrinated to your kids on a college campus, not to mention the four to, four to $800 a credit hour they want to charge you for it on the other end. I mean, Todd, we could do that. Ev- that may be the story, the fact that there are so many of these stories that could that could pinpoint that this was the this is the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. I think uh, the story I'm going to bring up is a microcosm of Obamacare writ large. Uh, Terry Schiavo. That's another one. W- mm-hmm. When the government can mandate that you die. That's why the the notion of death panels early on in Obamacare and these appointed health czars deciding what is best for everyone. I mean, we are talking the matrix here that, that you would, by definition and over time, from birth to death, have to plug in. 
to the system and be told when to jump and how high. That is chilling. The story and stories that... We put armed guards outside the woman's hospital room so her parents couldn't give her ice chips so we could starve her to death. Yep. That certainly is one of them, no doubt. A story or a type of story that I I keep on reading about with more frequency, and it hits close to home because I grew up in a small town. But these stories of of just clerks in small towns or small counties um, running up massive frauds and uh, paying themselves on the taxpayer dime uh, massive amounts of money. I see stories like that, and we often think that this this uh, you know just fraud of of uh, an abuse of power and spending money. We often think that that just happens in Washington. No, it's those types of stories illustrate that this is happening right in our backyards, right in our own towns, and that's uh, that's one story that uh, illustrates that uh, question to me. Question two, if you were to write and direct the illustration of a new comic book superhero, what would you name it? What superpowers would he or she have? And what would be a distinguishing characteristic or flaw? I'm going to let you take this one first, Todd. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank if there's anybody who should be a hop right out of his seat saying, I got all that's him, he passes to me so I can fill the air. Yeah, which superhero would I want? Well, I'll tell you what's cool. The best commentary I've ever heard about a superhero is about Batman. Amon Green, former Packers running back, had a tattoo of Batman. And, why, and they asked him why, because his superpower is just working hard. Amen to that. Uh, but I, see, the things that get... Like, I, I think the Green Lantern, I didn't even see the movie badly, but you love that guy because he uses his mind powers. He has to manifest a quick and, 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 and acerbic wit into a superpower through his ring. And, yes. and so, like, and I haven't seen Doctor Strange yet, but these seem to be like the ones that almost by definition, if you can do that, you're more power than anybody, but it also seems kind of lame to me. Here's what I would do. I would do the reverse of nefarious. In fact, I might have I might actually be giving you the plot line for a, my next book now that I lay this out. I would do the inverse of nefarious of a nefarious plot. I would create a character called omniscience. And this is where God as he has through the past in the past through prophets through sending his son to be born in a barn through lowly through through humble lowly origins to make profound points to his creation where god decides that it is time once and for all before the culture before the before the world goes completely off the rails to respond to the the banality of his critics and he grants one average person omniscience and says now go decide when to act since you know what the outcome will be decide when not to you wanted all the answers you now have them maybe in fact what I would do is have him grab an angry atheist a Richard Dawkins Sam Harris type and God would grant him omniscience think he can do the job better you now know what I know. It's all yours. You make these decisions. You know what's best. You've now been granted the knowledge that I have. And, if, and, and to use that character to force 
the human reader to see the other side of the looking glass and 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 understand that you're looking at the creation like you would watch a parade you're only looking at it one float and one marching band at a time now you have the perspective where you're going to see the whole thing simultaneously the beginning the middle and the end so what would you do with it and and just as I tried to use Lord Nefarious to force unbelievers to come to grips with the ultimate ramifications of what they're asserting, how about we do this the other end? Ye be like God? Okay. And yet ye indeed, let's see how it goes. I think there could be some interest in that. That like text that. on your phone, by the way, is your publisher calling saying, <laughs> I want that book ASAP. I might, I might have just given away a great idea for a book to somebody else, indeed. Oh, my. Um, I was going to do um, Nick of Time. His fatal flaw is that he's always late to uh, save the day. Wow. Question three. That's inspiring. Uh, wow. Quest- Probably should have had you go before me now that we've uh, now that we've played this out. Oh, what are you saying that your idea? Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, question three: If you could have your name, but in fairness, on- I didn't have an idea. That's why I had Todd go first to buy some time to come up with that. So I don't want America to think I had that thing at the tip of my tongue. I threw Todd's head out there on a platter to give myself time to come up with that. But go ahead, Aaron. That was good. Uh, question three: If you could have your name on any building, what kind of building would you choose? Uh, this one's easy for me. It is easy for you. All right, go ahead. I would love to have mine. This is totally carnal. Okay, no Jesus jukes here. Yes. Uh, looking agree. at you. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm scared. laughs> uh, I would love to have my name on a stadium, on a football stadium. The big house? Uh, on any football stadium. Yeah, I really. think I might go with the big house. Yeah. I could do that. The Steve Dace big house? Yeah. The Steve Dace big house. I think I could do that. Sounds like a hall of mirrors. <laughs> We were working out today. Uh, my uh, oldest daughter, Anna, and our, our youngest, Noah, was working out. Noah's nine, and he says to Anna, Anna, pay attention as you watch your little brother get ripped. And I, I looked at Noah, and I said, it's good to see the spirit of humility runs in our family. And Noah looks at Anna and I and goes, what's that? <laughs> and Anna and I looked at each other and said, exactly. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. We're not trying to win the argument, we're trying to start one. This is Steve Dace. And now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. And this is the Nightly Buzz. When we go back, take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the show because we were... Squirrel. I'm sorry. What did I just say? I'm totally distracted. Yes. What day is it? Exactly. We missed it earlier. So this is what's trending on social media at your water cooler at work. Aaron has the headlines. We will have the ridiculous hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Trump has told Congress that he believes three to five million illegal votes are what kept him from winning the popular vote. That's a debunked claim, but he's still out there saying it. Here's the thing. I, I, I posted a Twitter poll about this 
uh, earlier today, and I asked people, is this something that uh, ought to be fully investigated? Because, you know, this is this is a pretty, this is a heavy charge, Todd. You know, and this isn't something that can even just be tongue-in-cheek, you know, Ted Cruz's dad killed Kennedy. I mean, the guy who's the president of the United States is alleging widespread massive voter fraud. Sean Spicer at the Daily White House briefing was asked about it earlier today, and he said the president believes that based on evidence and uh, analysis. Okay, you know, we often talk about why the media doesn't get to vet Trump anymore. And that's both good on some things and then bad on the other. If he were to actually go off the rails, if his narcissism were to um, uh, to manifest itself in a destructive way, that's bad for us. The media has cried wolf so many times now they could catch him red handed on Zapruder film. No, it wouldn't move the needle. But but that works the other way, too. There may come a point in time when President Trump does encounter something uh, uh, that is severely undermining to our Republican form of government that requires action and a mobilization of the American people and not just his base of people. Right. You're, listen, we have a guy in the White House, folks, that less than than less than that about 25 percent of Americans voted for when you look at the. Turnout in the election and the percentage of the turnout he got, it's about 25% of Americans voted for Donald Trump for president. So when some, if, if he were to discover something at a critical mass that did, that, 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 that did corrupt us, undermined us, and required a mobilization of the American people, you do run the risk of, of when he just throws these things out there, and, and most of you laugh, you enjoy him lying about these things. Because if this were true, why wouldn't Attorney General Jeff Sessions make this priority number one as, as head of the Justice Department? I mean, if you, because if you lose the next election on three to five million illegal votes, everything you tried to do good in this last four years is undermined by the next person in there. This ought to be your number one priority. And why would Spicer be saying, as you alluded to early on the show, that immigration issues weren't the priority, a priority? This is schizophrenic, it sounds like. So to me, this is... This is where I, I know everybody's pointing out that the press has cried wolf with Trump too much. There comes a point where Trump can cry wolf with this stuff to the American people too much. And the time may come that something like this is true and may require a difficult task, a difficult cross for the American people to bear in order to undo it. And they will just simply say, oh, you mean like Ted Cruz's dad killed Kennedy? Oh, you mean like you lost the popular vote because three to five million people voted illegally? Oh, you mean like the National Enquirer should have won a couple of Pulitzer Prizes? You know what I'm trying to say? And we never bothered to look at this from the other side. See, we keep, this is again what binary choice thinking does to you. you most of you keep seeing the world through the lens of Trump versus the media. But that's only a part of the picture. In the end, it really matters what the American people think. And yes, the undermining of the media has an impact on that. But if the media really had the, 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 the power uh, of a commodus to stand in the arena and give thumbs up and thumbs down, and every time the masses said, yes, media, whatever you say, Donald Trump wouldn't be the president of the United States to begin with, okay? So yeah, they have a lot of power, but it's clearly limited somewhere. And so that is my concern, just throwing out spurious charges like this, when you have the means to investigate them, if you don't, it undermines your credibility, not with the media. Who gives a flat rip with the media thinks? 
I'm talking with the American people, Todd. But maybe I'm pearl clutching here. Maybe I'm hand rigging here. What say you? No, I think he thinks this has everything to do with the American people because, again, to Spicer just got hammered on this issue again today. And this is what now day three where he's a human punching bag. So this, and we were all questioning, oh, Spicer, come on, you could do way better than this. This seems to be the point to that Spicer is willing to be the human punching bag, that they're going to have the uh, election on always surviving it won't be over he wants that to continue within the context of the press briefings because he thinks that's why he's won he kept people upset and ginned up and hating all the right people this seems to be making sure that the election never dies steve next story former president barack obama left office last week with an average approval rating that falls among the lowest of any modern american president According to polling agency Gallup, Obama left with a final average poll approval rating of 47.9%, just the ninth best of the 12 post-World War II presidents. Only former presidents Harry Truman, Jimmy Carter, and Gerald Ford had lower averages than Obama. That means that the impeached Bill Clinton and the disgraced Richard Nixon left office with higher average approvals than Obama. And I don't know about you, but this kind of surprised me because I've talked about this, and you have too, about how Obama was one of the, if not the, highest-liked domestic politician. This kind of surprised me. Well, it's the average over the course of his eight years. I mean, obviously, the lowest recorded ever by Gallup is what Nixon had when he left the White House. But that wasn't his average. I mean, people forget, in 1972, Nixon won one of the largest landslides in, in presidential history. But this number should not really surprise people. When you look at the actual numbers on elections, in in 2012, and I used to say this a lot, you just haven't heard me bring this up on the show the last few years. In 2012, Barack Obama did something that had only been done twice before in American history. And and that is winning re-election by getting fewer votes than he did four years ago, both popular and electoral college. The only other two times that it ever happened were FDR and Woodrow Wilson in the midst of world wars, okay, obviously with a scattered electorate. Other than that, a president had never been reelected without expanding their base. Barack Obama managed to get reelected by contracting his base. So when you look at it in in that historical context, Todd, those numbers probably shouldn't be that much of a surprise. Although they are because of the amount of media fawning he received. Well, even though you remind us of the context all the time and often as a punchline, but it just shows how low the bar is of our politicians. Yes, we we have even marveled at his, you know, people respect him more than others. Well, people don't respect any of, we talked about that on this show. Our, all of our institutions are broken. He manages to come in at something looking like survivability relative to a lot of them, but it is still paltry relative to the, the perspective of history. Uh, quickly, before we exit here, Katie Rich, that SNL writer who made fun of Barron Trump on Twitter, has been suspended indefinitely by her employers. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah, because it wasn't just in an opinion she had. It was outright bullying of a child. The bottom line is, even the mob doesn't go after the kids. Have some decorum. But then again, these are people that advocate killing kids. So this isn't much of a stretch for them. Exactly. You're listening to Steve Dace. Declaration of Dependence on the Laws of Nature and Nature's God. 
This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. The name of the book is Gosnell. The untold story of America's most prolific serial killer, soon to be a major motion picture. Phelan McAleer is one of the co-authors of this book, and he joins us now. Phelan, my name is Steve Dace, and thank you very much for the work you did in this book and for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks, Steve. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show, and it was a privilege to write the book. It's always, it's always great to tell the truth uh, and get it out there. Back in 2013, the, I wrote the second most read column of the year at USA Today, defending Duck Dynasty against political correctness. Mm-hmm. And I know it was the second most read column because I wanted to find out what I, who, who, who finished ahead of me. The yeah. number one most read column that year... Uh, mm-hmm. was a column written um, by um, a Fox News contributor uh, who's a pro-life Democrat who was who was escoriating the media for ignoring the Kermit Gosnell story. That was the yeah. number one red column at USA Today in 2013. Uh, and I think that just goes to indicate the level of cover-up that went into ignoring this tale that you tell in this book, Phelan. Yeah. Yeah, the media refused to cover this story. This is America's most prolific serial killer, uh, who, who also happens to be an abortion doctor. And the media just decided, we don't want to cover anything that shines a, a negative spotlight on abortion. So uh, they d- didn't send the reporters along to this wonderful crime story, this massive crime story, uh, until Kirsten Powers, uh, your colleague in USA Today, and and, and really a, a right-wing, uh, you know, center-right bloggers, uh, Twitterers, just people who who just couldn't take it anymore started this massive shaming campaign and uh, shamed the mainstream media into covering uh, the Gosnell case. I mean, this this backlash against the media didn't start with Donald Trump. The media have been earning this backlash for years, and I think it's finally come home to roost. People, we have a whole chapter in the Gosnell book, uh, which people can get at, at gosnellbook.com. We have a whole chapter in the book about media malpractice. Uh, you can almost write the book about it, but you know there's so much more to this Gosnell story. Uh, but the media malpractice is a big thing, and it didn't work. You're no stranger to uh, investigative journalism exposés. I mean, you have a long career in that regard. What yeah. what attracted you to this particular story? You know, uh, uh, Providence. You know, uh, um, I I made a documentary about fracking, and I was in Philadelphia promoting my fracking documentary and I had a couple of days off and being a journalist with a couple of days off I don't go to museums or things like that I go to courtrooms to look at trials to see what interesting stories are happening uh, in, in the town and uh, I walked into the Kermit Gosnell case and I heard the most amazing evidence I've ever heard in my life I saw the most shocking photograph and I saw even more shocking was the empty courtroom and I remember coming back to Los Angeles and telling my wife, "We put, this is our next story. We're doing this." And uh, she said, "We're not doing that. We don't touch abortion." Uh, so I ordered up the transcripts, and her and my colleague Magdalena Spaghetti, they read the transcripts, and we all looked at each other and said, "This is our story. This has to be told." And uh, you know, this is what this is why this is why we became journalists: tell the stories others won't tell, to give voices to voiceless people. These babies who Gosnell murdered uh, lived for seconds, minutes, maybe an hour. Uh, but they had important lives. They've, they've changed people's lives. Uh, they may change the country. They may change 
legislation in this world, they are important and their voices need to be heard. A lot of people in our audience, Phelan, are aware of this story. They're informed. They read sites like Life News, LifeSite News, etc. Mm. Every night when the trial was going on, I was reading excerpts from the testimony, all the grisly details to our audience. Mm. I've written numerous columns about it. There's a whole, um, there, there's a whole uh, homage to Gosnell, for lack of a better term, in my most recent book, A Nefarious Plot, which is written by a demon general from hell. He he basically sings a lullaby to Gosnell. So yeah. my my audience is very familiar with this but what is when you guys really dug into this story without giving away the book can you give us one thing one nugget that even if you were informed on what on what transpired here that that you would be shocked to learn um well i mean gosnell thinks he's innocent gosnell thinks he's going to get out gosnell's going to be vindicated by history uh, another thing gosnell uh believes the bible justifies his evil deeds uh, and in the back of, uh, of the book, we, he, he writes to us all the time, he phones us all the time from prison. Uh, he sent us a list of Bible scripture, Bible passages, uh, justifying abortion, justifying his deeds. And beside them, he, he explains how that justifies his act. Serial killer, soon to be a major motion picture. More with him in a moment. All right, coming back into the next segment, Phelan, you were talking, you know, doing another reset, Phelan. Listening to Steve Dace. Selling out isn't a virtue. This is Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Day Show with Phelan McAleer, the co-author of the new book, Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. Before we went to the break, Phelan, you were talking about some things that might even shock uh, learned uh, listeners uh, when it comes to this story in our audience. What else should they know? Gosnell's a creepy guy, but he's a plausible guy. Uh, myself and my wife went to visit him in prison to interview him. He kept touching my wife's knee. He, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a creepy guy. He's a charismatic guy. He's a classic serial killer. Very interesting, too. He's a classic serial killer. He kept trophies. Uh, he took photographs of his victims. He, he cut baby's feet off and kept them in jars and put labels on them. So there's a lot in this book. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it is a, a life story, but it's also a crime story. If you're interested in justice and, and some good cop stories, there's a hero cop in it. Actually, that's something that, you're, that your listeners might know. This started off as a drug case. Not as a murder case. I was going to ask and you about that. They they did not go there because he was violating the state's twenty three week or whatever it was abortion law. They went there because they thought he was running a drug mill, right? Yeah, and and they knew he was violating the abortion law, but the, the word went out: we're not getting involved. We're not going to intervene on anything like that because it's a it's a sacred cause. Uh, it was just it was a drug guy who said there's something not right here, and it's more than drugs. And he then and then he interviewed members of staff. Found out a woman had died. Looked for the police report. No police report, but a woman died uh, inexplicably. He thought there was something as rotten here, and went in and then realized that. Now he, he had a lot of blowback, blowback against him because he was a narcotics cop. What's he doing investigating homicide? You know they're very territorial these cops and prosecutors. And uh, he 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 fought through because you know he he he's, he's a professional. He's also spiritual. Uh, the cop Jim Wood from Philadelphia. You know. Uh, there's a lot of anti-cop 
material out there, but you know what? I'm glad there's people like Jim Wood out there, let me tell you. When you see stories of men who are uh, clowns at kids' parties, who keep to themselves, mm-hmm. and they're uh, nondescript, unknown, under the radar, and then one day there's a tip in suspicion, you start digging up John Wayne Gacy's yard, and there's mm-hmm. bones of kids going back years, and we're all shocked. But in this case, this man's in a regulated, heavily regulated profession. How is it possible then, Phelan, that this went on for 30 years? He's in a heavily regulated profession in one of the most heavily regulated states in the union. Uh, because the regulations are just paper regulations. Uh, when you've got states like that, no one no one wants to enforce the regulations. The big assist uh, in this was from a Republican governor, a so-called moderate Republican governor. Tom Ridge. Tom Ridge. Yep. Yeah, he was elected on a pro-life or a pro-choice platform and told bureaucrats, I know the law says the clinic has to be inspected annually, but we're ignoring that. And the bureaucrat says, fine, that's great, let's work for us. I may be taking you in a place you're not comfortable, so if I am, tell me. But... But I'm heavily involved in pro-life activism in my own state, and I've been involved around the country. The March for Life is this weekend. One of the big tactical debates we have within the pro-life movement is whether the battle is to determine, to define that human life begins at conception, or is it to try and regulate abortion out of business? Now, I will tell you my bias is the former, because I, I just don't understand how do you enforce these regulations. And I've been saying this since the Gosnell, since before the Gosnell case. I mean, if, if someone takes money to kill children for a living, what, it's not a big leap for them, Phelan, to lie about an x-ray, to lie about an ultrasound. I mean, we, yeah. we don't have pre- natal police out there, right, monitoring, uh, you know, uh, how far along it, babies are in the womb. So how are these things even enforceable? Yeah. Are, are we, have we essentially spent decades making ourselves feel good by placing restrictions that are mm-hmm. likely just going to be ignored anyway? What do you think, yeah. based on your, your experience in the Gosnell case, what does that tell you? Well, I mean, that's a good question. And again, I mean, I, I'm not a pro-life activist. I'm a journalist, right? Uh, I'm a stranger to the pro-life movement, or I was before I wrote this book, let me tell you, my opinions on abortion have, have shifted dramatically, I, I, I'll say that. Um, that's a, it's a very good point. Listen, uh, from, from our experience, the regulations are not worth the paper they're written on. Right? They are, n- they, they are not worth, I was going to use a word that perhaps your listeners uh, wouldn't like, so they're just worth nothing. So I, I think, you know, you, you make a very good point. Um, you know, you're asking leftist bureaucrats and leftist politicians. And, and by the way, this happens in Texas, too. There's a doctor in Texas of deeply red states who's just doing this. As you say, I mean, one thing that, that I realized after writing this book is that is uh, that no one knows what goes on behind the doors of these abortion clinics. So, um, you know, yeah, the regulations are worthless, completely worthless. Tell us about the movie uh, that, uh, that the story is going to become. What do we know so far? Well, the movie is finished. Uh, we tried to get a distributor, and the distributor said, great movie, too controversial for us. You know, such nonsense. But this is the story that the mainstream media don't want to tell. This is the story that the Hollywood establishment don't want to get, to get out there. Uh, but that doesn't matter. We're going to get it out there. The book is going to get out there. I mean, one of our plans, one of our evil plans, is to get the book on the New York Times bestseller list. So uh, that the New York Times is finally forced to actually have the word Gosnell in their pages. Mm. So... I mean, we're asking people to buy the book because it's important. We're actually asking them also to buy it to send a message to the mainstream media. You know, go to gosnellbook.com, order the book, or go into actually go to your local bookshop, buy the book, and 
get it on the New York Times bestseller list and, and have people in the New York Times have to spit in their coffee as they see what's climbing up the bestseller list. They don't want this story out there. It sends the wrong message. It casts a spotlight, a negative spotlight on abortion, and they don't like it. It sounds like this has had an indelible impact on you, the experience of investigating this case. Unbelievable. Uh, Anne, my wife and I were, were both changed profoundly by this story uh, in many ways. If you read Anne's preface to the book, uh, you know, we were sort of, we, we, we didn't really understand or, you know, particularly trust pro-life activists before this because obviously the photographs were photoshopped and obviously they were exaggerating what was mm-hmm. going on. Let me tell you, any of your listeners out there who don't know much about abortion, the pro-life activists are not exaggerating. They're not photoshopping. In fact, they're not graphic enough. The, the pictures we have seen pale into insignificance from uh, those posters that you see outside the clinics. The truth will set you free and will, you know, we need to have a debate about the truth, not about politics. Phelan McAleer, the co-author of the book Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. And I agree with his sales pitch. Force them to cover this by putting it on the New York Times bestseller list. Phelan, thank you for being on our show tonight. God bless you, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Uh, All the best. Take care. Listening to Steve Dace. Surrender isn't a strategy. This is Steve Dace. Wow. I, that was some kind of an interview. Not because of the interviewer, but because of the subject matter and. You can ju- you could feel, at least I could feel it talking to him. I don't know what you guys listening to the show and gals tonight thought, but I could just feel in this conversation that this was this was a formative, transcendent moment investigating the Gosnell story for Phelan McAleer, the co-author to the book uh, Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. So as you guys listen to that here tonight, your reaction to listening to uh, the words of Phelan McAleer. Well... Not- Go, Go ahead, Aaron. My first reaction is yes. Gosnell is one of the most prolific serial killers in the United States, but let's not let's not kid ourselves here. There's no difference in what he does and what he did for 30 years than what happens every single day in the United States behind the walls of abortion clinics. There's no difference. There's there's a little bit more cray cray with Kermit Gosnell, but every single abortionist is a serial killer. That's that's. I mean, there's. I mean, they may not be chopping off babies' limbs and keeping them as trophies, but they are extinguishing life, and they are extinguishing life repeatedly. And what do we call those types of people who do that? And some of them are chopping off the limbs and selling them and for selling spare parts. Them. That's that's what's happening. There's just a little bit more cray cray. There's just a little bit more disturbing because of uh, some of the stories and the fact that um, this guy was actually went to, to trial. Um, that that but this should disturb you um, every single day. It's not just him. It's every single thousands of abortionists in the United States. I was struck by when he said he took the uh, the story to his wife, and she said, "We don't touch that." 
and then he had to read the transcripts. Because when I was at the register, I got in a fight over this very issue with the wire editor at the time and our ridiculous lack of coverage at the register. And he tried to tell me, and we did this over e- email or internal chat or whatever we used. He said, well, it's, it's a local story. And I said, do you really want me to go into the archives right now and look at the quote-unquote local stories that you've put on the front page of this paper because it suits your agenda? And he came back to me and said, are you calling me a liar? And I said, that's exactly what I'm calling you. You purposefully keep this away from people because if they saw the bloody godless truth, it would alter their perspective. This is the propaganda isn't isn't even a the right term because it's not strong enough to this garbage that is peddled on the people by omitting these stories from the public consciousness. How many people, random informed people, our age or older, if I said the name Ted Bundy, would know who that is? Many. How many? If I'm, how many of I, if I said Son of Sam, would know would would know Jeffrey that's Dahmer, sure. Jeffrey Dahmer, Richard Ramirez, or his 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 alter ego, the Night Stalker? How many would know? Right? How many would know John Wayne Gacy? Many would. Why would they know if those were just local stories? You're right. That's propaganda. And the biggest manifestation of media bias is not even the slant in which they cover the news, but which news they decide to cover at all. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 